Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm your host, Jem Taduchu. And welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that condenses both history and the pop culture that starts the conversation. Because it turns out it doesn't matter how weird or wonderful that bit of pop culture may be, there is always a bit of history lurking underneath. So what are we doing this time round? We're doing The Book of Boba Fett, which is a brand new TV series on Disney+. Plus. I find it interesting, by the way, we... Okay, there's a whole story behind this. Obviously, I'd like as many people as possible to listen to this podcast. If you're listening to it right now, well, you have to be to be hearing the sentence. Thank you. Hello. Welcome. Please spread the word. Please tell somebody about it. Every Tuesday, I release a few little tweets about what the latest episode is. It'd be great if you could retweet that, share it, like it, subscribe. If you give a, give us a good review, that'd be wonderful. Whatever podcasting app you are listening to us on, all that would be great. And so there is a conversation between myself and Greg behind the scenes about what's been working, what's not, what's hot, etc. I really want to do more about anime. They don't do very well. So I'll be sort of steering to occasionally I guess I'll be doing one on anime every now and then just to keep myself happy but I know that those ones don't tend to do quite well and in my earlier podcast so condensed history has actually been running longer than the other podcast but for a long time for years literally it was Greg and I going backwards and forwards you occasionally hear those ones on things like the Harry Potter episode and the prestige episode because uh, Greg is an excellent editor but he's an even better magician so just putting that out there oh my god he's a dream however a few years ago I was approached by this guy called Dan who said I got a good idea for a podcast I see that you're clearly going down the same lines is what I'm thinking and we created Neon and the very first episode was Black Panther because it had just come out it's super hot and I ended up doing I think at least two episodes over the 49 episodes that we did sadly never quite hit the 50 mark we did two episodes in a year and a half that were Star Wars related because Star Wars is hot or at least was. And this is what I find interesting, because ever since we've done the new format of Condensed Histories, haven't talked about Star... I mean, it's been mentioned in passing, but I have not done a Star Wars-specific episode. I felt a great disturbance in the Force. And I thought I'd just sort of mention why that was, sort of now. Okay, fair enough. So, Book of Boba Fett we're going to talk about, which means, of course, we're going to be talking about what exactly is a bounty hunter? I am not a bounty hunter. And also, what exactly is a mercenary? Because they're not the same thing, and the two get conflated frequently 
particularly in the Star Wars genre, but they're really not the only ones. So, to explain, Star Wars, okay, there couldn't have been anything hotter in 1977. We'll be coming back to the holiday special a year later in Christmas 78. That's the spirit, you'll be celebrating life day before you know it. Yes, we'll be talking about that in a bit because it's linked to Boba Fett, unbelievably. And then obviously you get uh, you get Empire Strikes Back, you get Return of the Jedi, so the early 80s. It is hot, hot, hot territory. And then it all goes quiet until 1999's Phantom Menace comes out. And, you know, the, the prequels. What's interesting is the prequels. I'll never forget a friend of mine who saw it in America, like came out a week or two before in America, before it came out in the UK. And I happened to be talking to him and he goes, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. I went, okay, what's it like? You know, I'm trying to relive my childhood. And I thought his description of particularly Phantom Menace is really, really good. He said, the highs are as high as anything you've ever seen before in a Star Wars movie. But he then added, but there are too many lows, too many dips. And this is the thing, the pod race, the three-way fight sequence with Darth Maul. These are some of the best moments in Star Wars. And then there's all the trade regulation conversations. And, and all the other shenanigans going on in it too. So, and Jar Jar Binks. But the prequels have kind of been reassessed because while they are flawed, there is no doubt about it. I've had a few things to work through, you know. With Sarah? No, with George Lucas. Fact of the matter is, George Lucas had a vision. He was working towards a cohesive goal. Then Disney bought it in the early 2000s and bought all the rights of Lucasfilms from George Lucas, including Indiana Jones, which is why we're going to see a new Indiana Jones at some point. And for over $4 billion, he did well out of that deal. But then it was brought into, while there were huge fans of Star Wars, there wasn't this cohesive George Lucas vision, good or bad. And so what you got was The Force Awakens, which was one of the biggest grossing movies of all time. And everybody who, you know, by now are proper adults, but perhaps remember seeing and the sort of like the slight frustration and slash disappointment of the prequels went, oh, okay, they're, they're doing it again. You know, they're, they're, they've brought back that magic. And there's no doubt that going to be critical of The Force Awakens is it's a soft reboot. It pretty much beat for beat sometimes scene for scene, is very, very similar to 1977 Star Wars A New Hope. And it, but it huge box office. And I think everybody was willing to allow it a soft reboot. After all, it was 30 odd years, pushing 40 odd years since the original. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of generations coming in since then. Need to educate them. So let's get them in that way. Yep, fine. But it had a few flaws. You know, a Captain Phasma, they were pushing hard, basically blinking your misser in it. And then after that, we got the first non-Skywalker story. We got Rogue One. And there was a big conversation about, oh, do you reckon anybody's going to turn up for this one? And, and it felt different. It was different. And it was good. I know some people who think that Rogue One is the best, most satisfying Star Wars movie. I'm not sure it is, but it's certainly in the conversation. It's a sign that people genuinely were trying something different, that they were trying to broaden the horizon. And yeah, there were lots of good things about Rogue One. 
So at the end of Rogue One, the movies had grossed more than three billion in the box office. It was looking like Disney had done a good job and they're selling t-shirts by the truckload and all the kind of merchandising. They've made their money back by the time they've made those two films. And then we get The Last Jedi, which is finally doing something new. And I'm not going to be one of those fanboys who turns around and goes, ah, it didn't do exactly what I wanted, but it made some big mistakes. There's no doubt about it. The thing that, well, first of all, it's pretty long and critically, it's got fat in it. Basically, everything that happens on the casino world, where they're trying to get this guy to pick a lock, which ultimately fails, means all of that 20 minutes could be taken out and it makes no difference to the story because ultimately they fail. All it does is explain why certain characters are in certain locations towards the climax of the movie. That's it. Great to see Luke Skywalker back. Strike me down in anger and I'll always be with you. I know loads of people were disappointed going, oh, he's so cynical and grumpy. It's like you went from seeing him being a young boy, basically a teenager into, you know, 35 years later into an old man who's kind of failed in certain things. Do you know what? If you have the same gleeful optimism that you do aged 18, aged 58, you're pretty immature. But there were some strange choices. Was it really needed seeing him milking that thing for the green milk? That was just just weird. And, you know, the comedy was a little bit off, but also it kind of dismissed it sort of anything that they didn't like in the first Force Awakens, they kind of started to dismiss. They were trying to tell their own narrative, which I will give them 10 out of 10 for. Visually, it's absolutely stunning. The, the fight with Snoke in his throne room, exceptional piece of showmanship there and sort of visual cinema at its best, but it wasn't satisfying. And so when everybody sort of recoiled from that one, then just six months later, we got Solo, a Star Wars story about the origins of Han Solo, which nobody asked for, nobody was looking forward to. It's only been six months since the last movie. Everything was set up for this to not go particularly well, and it didn't go particularly well. There's no doubt that Donald Glover, being Lando Calrissian, he was great in it, but the whole thing just felt completely unnecessary. And it had suffered multiple reshoots for various different reasons. Nobody asked for it, nobody wanted it. Turned out that his surname isn't some alien name, it just means on his own, like, my name's Han. It's like, do you, who do you run with? Nobody, okay, Han Solo. No, no, that's just, ugh. So it, it, it wasn't a bad movie, but it, every ounce of it felt completely redundant. How did Han Solo get his gun? Nobody has wondered about that. Turns out somebody gave it to him. Who who could have imagined? It was either he was given it or he bought it in a shop. Turns out it was the first one. So suddenly the luster is coming off. Now I accidentally was in a room with the advertisers, the marketers behind The Last Jedi. They were mentioning going, yes, we're doing the advertising for The Last Jedi. And I went, that must be an easy job. And they went, well, it is and it isn't. He goes, you know, we'll know it'll gross 1.5 billion, but we're hoping that the marketing and advertising will get it over 2 billion, close to what it was with the first movie. So the fact that it didn't quite get to 1.5 billion meant that it was a disappointment. It didn't do what it was meant to do, but I want to be quite clear on this because the internet is just black or white. You know, things are brilliant or awful. It did well. You know, it more than made its money back. It was not a commercial failure by any stretch of the imagination but it didn't do as well as it wanted to. It more than covered its costs, okay? But if you like, The Last Jedi was a sign that they're not quite sure what to do with it. Because they originally gave the next trilogy to three different directors, 
it means that they had didn't have uh, sort of like the vision. And J.J. Abrams has said, yeah, we didn't write out the overarching story first. We were just going to take it movie to movie. Then you don't know what's going on. You don't know how important somebody's going to be. It was problematic at that point. And then with Solo, it's like, oh my goodness, so these two both misfired badly. And then we come to Rise of Skywalker, where they desperately tried to rebuild everything from the second movie and to kind of pretend the, the awkward bits didn't never happen, didn't exist. Obviously, there's the tragedy that Carrie Fisher had died, so they were limited in terms of what they could do with her. Clearly, the plan was first movie, they spend a lot of time with Han Solo, second one, Luke Skywalker, and third one, Princess Leia. But unfortunately, Carrie Fisher had passed away, so that limited what they could actually do. Goodbye, dear princess. But that movie is just chopped and a mess and all over the place. And it was suddenly this new trilogy that started off with so much hope ended up being a bit, eh, oh, okay. I mean, for one thing, the whole new order doesn't make any sense. It's, is it the empire? Is it not the empire? If the rebels won, why aren't they in charge? All kinds of narrative problems, structural problems, you know, law and logic type problems. It's just, just, just no. So actually in the end, it made the prequels, you know, as shonky as they are in places, at least they're a coherent story you know, from a singular vision, they have an advantage. So that means that Star Wars just wasn't the slam dunk. And to give you an idea, the last movie, The Rise of Skywalker, grossed about the same, if not slightly less, than the Joker film. The Joaquin Phoenix one, which, you know, that only cost 40 million to make because they knew it was going to be R-rated, 15 in the UK, and they knew it was going to be very gritty and therefore had a tiny budget compared to Star Wars, and yet they both grossed a bit over a billion dollars. So Warner Brothers were absolutely laughing about Joker and one ended up winning Best Actor Oscar, whereas Rise of Skywalker, not, not exactly the same. However, on the small screen, Star Wars has been very strong. There's been the Clone Wars, which got cancelled once Disney took it over, but it's interesting they brought it back again and expanded it with the Bad Batch. But the certainly the original by David Filoni, the, the original sort of like five, six series of Clone Wars, which is set between the prequels numbers two and three, really good. You know, there are lots of genuinely rock solid episodes there. Indeed, some of the unshot scripts, the ones that never got made, got turned into Dark Disciple, this book that most people consider is the best Star Wars book ever. My wife, who reads proper literature, has read that book several times and thinks it is amazing. That's how good Dark Disciple is. It's not just sort of a bit of schlock, bit of sort of like churned out sci-fi. It's a genuinely good story. I thoroughly recommend you do that. So I haven't yet got to Boba Fett then because like I say, the small screen was beginning to save Star Wars. There was, as I said, the Clone Wars, which was doing quite nicely. Thank you very much. And then we got the Mandalorian, the first live action Star Wars story and people loved it but tellingly it was set just a couple of years after Return of the Jedi we don't have to worry about the New Order or anything like that we are now you know we still got stormtroopers and speeder bikes and all this other stuff and more importantly the Mandalorian looks an awful lot like Boba Fett in other words we're not going to use Boba Fett now we don't quite know what we're going to do with Boba Fett after all he was last seen falling down a Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi 
it got a lot of attention and people loved it. Suddenly it reminded everybody what was great about Star Wars. And so in series two, quite naturally for Disney, they expanded it, kept bumping into people who'd been in previous movies or TV shows. First time we see a live action Ahsoka, who was a key character in the Clone Wars. And yes, we get to see Boba Fett. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, he did survive the Sarlacc pit, which has been written into multiple books, multiple comics, video games as well. Now it is officially canon. He survived and now he is out doing his thing in Book of Boba Fett, which feels a lot like Mandalorian. And I mean that in a good way. I'm not going to go into any detail, spoilers or anything like that. But the point is, Boba Fett, he's up there with the fans. I mean, what's interesting in Empire Strikes Back, he has maybe six or seven lines and that's it. They even redubbed them because it turns out he's a he's a sort of clone of Jango Fett and etc, etc. I'm not going to go into all the details details of that, you either know this stuff or don't care. But so they actually had to take the original guy's lines, which were really good, a little bit creepy, and change them for another actor's because that now created the continuity, and that's fine. The point is, it wasn't down to the acting, it was down to the armor. And as a kid, as a small little kid, just before Empire Strikes came out, I always remember I had a cork board on my wall and I put a lot of interesting articles. And my parents showed me this article in the Sunday Times magazine, which was all about this upcoming Empire Strikes Back, a sequel to Star Wars. Oh, I was so excited about it. I had every reason to be, it turned out. It was an excellent movie. But the one of the key photos was of Boba Fett standing in the white corridor of what I now know as Bespin, the Cloud City. And that's the, I, I don't remember anything in the article. I don't remember any of the other photos, but that to me was the image of what I wanted to see in this movie. And there's good reason for that too. So Boba Fett, let's talk a little bit about his history. Now, the interesting thing is that the summer after Star Wars came out, there was a big parade in George Lucas's local area and he had two actors dressed up like two characters. One was Darth Vader. Everybody knew who Darth Vader was, but they'd yet to know anything more about the mysterious man behind the mask. And the other one was Boba Fett, something that we'd never seen before. And the idea was clearly, you know, this has been contested and bounced around and people have re-remembered and misremembered and counter-remembered, but it did seem that Boba Fett was going to be originally a much bigger deal. This is why he was in sort of in all the marketing campaigns. They'd done a brilliant job creating this wonderful masked baddie with Darth Vader, and they create, and created another brilliant masked potential baddie with Boba Fett. And that kind of slit visor, very similar to some of the ancient Greek hoplite armor, which everybody agrees looks cool. So the point with that is it's, it, you know, it, it, it's creating this sensation. Who are they going to be? Are they going to be brothers? Are they going to be two sides of the same coin, etc.? Now, in the end, actually, he's pretty, pretty minor in that movie. Yes, he gets to take Han Solo away, but really, you know, the thing that impresses you is the fact that everybody is terrified of Darth Vader, but Boba Fett actually stands up to Darth Vader. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. 
With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. They kind of have a disagreement, and Boba Fett clearly is comfortable and confident enough in his own military martial prowess that he can go toe-to-toe with Lord of the Sith, you know, the Emperor's right-hand man. You know, that's a great example of show, don't tell. It's sort of like, we now get his power because both of them agree that, you know, if they were to actually go to blows, it probably wouldn't do too well for either of them. But that doesn't happen. And so... But really, all he does is turn up, have a conversation with Darth Vader, and then is in essence a delivery boy. Yes, he has to sort of fire off a few shots, but basically he just drags Han Solo's body in carbonite into his ship and then fly off. That's it. That's all you get to see, really. He sort of like tracks them down a little bit as well. And he's in that famous villains lineup in the Star Destroyer where Darth Vader's talking to all these bounty hunters with Dengar, etc. All of them are up there. IG-88, the robot. There will be a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. Because they all look wonderful. They've all been brilliantly designed. They're a rogues gallery and you just want to know more. But actually there's... There's nothing else really to know, except once you get into all the extended universe, etc. Boba Fett's the only one who really gets any lines. And then everybody's very excited what happens in the third movie. And in the end, they, they didn't know what to do with him. They had a bigger story to tell, Luke versus Darth, and, you know, the, the end of the Empire and the rise of the rebels and all this kind of stuff. That was the important bit. So they didn't want an endless amount of stuff with Boba Fett, so they just got rid of him. But the thing is, before any of this stuff, as I've said, he was in that parade, but also in the holiday special. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Holiday specials become kind of lore. And what's interesting is most of the people mentioned in the holiday special have now at some point appeared in a book or a comic or something like that. So it is sort of canon, but the show itself was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Please do not watch it. It's a waste of time. It's a variety performance, basically, hung together by Chewbacca's family, who are a bunch of Wookiees that nobody thought to subtitle. I mean, literally, the first six or seven minutes of this show is Grandpa Wookiee, Mum Wookiee, little baby Wookiee and they're just growling at each other it's it's who thought that would make good TV I don't know 
it is on YouTube, it is a waste of your time. But then they'll sort of like flick into like Jefferson Airplane and does a song, special song that they've written. They're called Jefferson Starship. Get it? And then also there is an animated feature in it, which for the first time shows Boba Fett. Boba Fett, no, he's a friend. Most people say that that animated feature is the best thing in the whole of the winter special, holiday special, I should say. If you want to see that, fine, good. But again, it does show that Boba Fett is a kind of bounty hunter. I am not a bounty hunter. And is very powerful and has his own very interesting adventures. And in the 1980s, there were two TV shows, one called Ewoks. We are the other one called Droids, and Boba Fett appears briefly in the Droids one as well. So he's in there. He's out there. If you like, he's the first important person in the extended universe. You find out so much more about him from TV shows, books, etc., video games. But in the actual movies, he's almost blink and you'll miss him. And certainly... A lot of his fans who were really hoping something big in Return of the Jedi were supremely disappointed that basically he gets hit in the back by Han Solo by accident. His jetpack goes off. He makes this sort of weird ah, noise and then lands up in the Sarlacc. It's, it's a really ignoble end to somebody who was sort of cool and sinister. So by the Mandalorian bringing him back, it's like, okay, we now get to see sort of like Boba Fett, not so much in his prime, he's obviously older, but you know, Boba Fett doing what we've always wanted him to do. And now with Book of Boba Fett, we get to see it. But the thing about Star Wars, and like I say, lots of other things, is they really kind of don't know what bounty hunters actually are. And weirdly, bounties themselves and bounty hunters is kind of a uniquely American thing. We can talk about, well, I, like I have done in one of the podcasts where I've talked about police officers, and there are other things like lawyers and so on and so forth. They may be different laws in, in different countries, but the basic concept's the same around the world. But there just aren't a load of bounty hunters wandering around, let's say, France. It's something that's uniquely and still exists to this day in America. But let's actually talk about what they are and what they aren't as well. So first of all, we get this idea of bail. You know, you've all seen this on TV. It's like your bail set at $10,000, something like that. Well, originally in the Middle Ages in England, the concept of bail was a person not money. So let's say I am a noble lord and congratulations, you are also a noble lord and my best friend. Now I have been arrested or maybe I've been captured in battle or something like that, but I've got to go and do something, perhaps actually raise some money or whatever. So rather than giving you any money, which would be the modern equivalent, instead what I would do is put you. So you have to kind of stay with the court while I go off and do my thing. Now if I then run away, you will now have to go to prison for my crime, or let's face it, if I'm going to be executed, you're going to be executed. So, you know, there's a level of trust there. You, you leave behind somebody who you really care about because then, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to come back, aren't I? And I'd want to keep you safe. Yes, you listening to this right now, you're special. So with that in mind, it used to be a human being. Then, you know, as the Middle Ages and legal systems evolved, it turned into actual money. Specifically, in 1679, there's a Habeas Corpus Act which said that basically you had to set a bail. You couldn't just keep people in prison indefinitely. That's a kind of important point of law. Now, to give you an idea, the, the idea of, of how much do we set as bail became a thing in the US Constitution. The Eighth Amendment in the US Constitution is all about, well, I mean, this isn't 
exclusively, but one of the key areas is about what level can you set bail at to stop being perhaps unfair to people who are poor, because in the eyes of the law, everybody should, in theory, be equal. So you've now got the setting of bail as a standard precedent. Now, the next thing I'm going to say is that one difference, which I didn't realize, is in Britain, if your bail is set at, let's say, £10,000, that means I have to give the court £10,000. And then if I run away, the court keeps £10,000 and also I'm now a wanted man. But if I come and turn up at court, that £10,000 is almost like a deposit for law. And so they give it to you back again. In America, they don't. So if it's $10,000, I will never see that $10,000 again. So sometimes you get things like bails bondsman in America, where basically you get a loan, let's say $10,000, and you will have to repay that loan at some point, or maybe your family will have to, you know, I don't know, mortgage the house or something to raise some money for you for to, to cover that bail. But that is a key difference between the American system and the British system. Just, just one example there. Now, in America, what happens is, as I said, sometimes these people don't turn up again. We now need to find them. And because America has had this constant tension between states' rights and federal rights, i.e. the whole country's rights, bounty hunters were a thing that were a matter of convenience. Because if the local police, you know, I'm meant to be going to a court in, let's say, Cicero, Illinois, which is very close to Chicago. Okay, so Cicero, Illinois, therefore it would be the local police force or maybe the state troopers who would be able to find me. But if I move from Illinois to, let's say, Virginia, that's quite a long way away, they can't touch me. So I've kind of got away with whatever crime I've got away with. And the FBI probably have bigger things to deal with than the, I don't know, let's let's have, pick a minor crime here, a one-off burglary, something like that. It's bad, you know, it deserves to be punished, but you know, the FBI have bigger fish to fry than just a one-off burglary. So that's why you then get the bounty hunters who are allowed to operate over state's lines so they can follow me to Virginia. And the idea is that a bounty hunter technically is a private citizen. They're actually not law enforcement themselves. They are bound by the laws, but they, they can actually do some things that the police can't do. So for, for example, if I suspect you are hiding out in that building, the police have to have cause before they can go into it. Whereas I, as a bounty hunter, if I've done my due diligence and think you're in that house, I have the right to break and enter into that house to drag you out of it and get you to court. And ultimately, the relationship is is a civil one, not a legal one. And basically part of that bail is paid to me. That is the bounty. It's part of the bail. Sometimes it might be most of the bail, depending on how dangerous you are. And this is where we get into the wild westy thing of, you know, wanted, dead and alive, you know, gem, bounty, $10,000. I mean, in, in 1870s, that'd be ridiculous. But you get the idea, you know, so $1,000, $100, something like that. And so people could earn a living just tracking down these individuals and bringing them back to justice, dead or alive sometimes, or alive, you know, it depends. But they were allowed to use violence and they could absolutely defend themselves, which led to people saying that some of these guys are just killing them and then, because it's easier to bring a dead man back than a living man back, it's led to all kinds of abuses. And today, everything I've just said broadly is accurate about bounty hunters. How they are allowed to operate in each state depends. Please do not take this podcast as a way to set up your bounty hunting exercise and enterprise, okay? Don't. Check the local laws in your area and see what you are and aren't allowed to do. So there we go. That's if you like the broad brushstrokes of bounty hunters. 
In essence, they're police officers who are interested in bringing just one person to justice. They couldn't care less about anything else. They don't have the right to arrest anybody. They're just hunting X down because they are the bounty. They are the person who paid the bail and then skipped bail and avoided justice. That's what they're doing. So what they're not is mercenaries. And what you see in lots of movies is when they say bounty hunter, what they really mean is mercenary. And what's interesting about mercenaries is they are a standard part of warfare up until the 20th century. If you think about things like the Hundred Years' War or the endless amounts of wars during the Renaissance in Italy and lots of other things, there were certain areas of Europe that were renowned for their mercenary forces, in particular the Low Countries, you know, modern-day Netherlands and Belgium, and Switzerland, because they didn't tend to fight war wars, but they did have some pretty good mercenaries, world-renowned for their, or at least Europe-wide renowned for their Zweihanders, their two-handed massive long swords. Pretty dangerous stuff. And so what you would do there is if you're in the feudal era, you would raise an army because it's all part of you owing debt to the land and all this kind of stuff. That makes sense. So you basically get the soldiers for free and they're fighting for king and country, to use a cliche there. Mercenaries, you have to pay them. How many of you did they hire? Enough. And indeed, particularly the Italian mercenaries, uh, led by Condottori, which were sort of like these sort of mercenary leaders, there was sort of like rumours that they wouldn't fight particularly hard because, let's face it, they make more money if they get to fight another war next year, so... Why don't you take a look around? You know what's about to happen, what they're up against? They could use a good pilot like you, you're turning your back on them. What good's the reward if you ain't around to use it? They were battle-hardened, they knew the techniques, but actually they kind of were worried about their own skins. And there's been a number of incidences throughout history, throughout lots of different regions, where the mercenaries were the first ones to give up and go home, because they're not in it for the ideology or to make sure this person becomes the next king, emperor, insert, title, whatever. What if tomorrow the war could be over? Isn't that worth fighting for? And so, yeah, they're, they're kind of looked down upon. Now, that's not to say that there aren't brave mercenaries and there aren't very efficient mercenaries out there. But interestingly, in the 20th century, when you get like World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, etc., the local armies, due to conscription, were so large, mercenaries weren't needed. However, once we get into the 21st century, when armies again are much smaller, we again start seeing mercenary forces. They're called different things nowadays. They're generally not called just mercenaries, but things like Blackwater in America, in Iraq, in the early 2000s was kind of notorious. These were basically civilian operators. Virtually all of them were ex-military, some of them ex-special forces, suddenly earning thousands, tens of thousands more dollars than they ever would just in the regular army. And But they're using these things for like bodyguards and so on and so forth. And there are multiple crimes against Blackwater, which I, I think some of them are still in, in process of, so I better be careful what I say there. But, you know, excessive violence, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. They're not bound to the laws of the military. They're just bound to the laws of what they want to do in that particular situation. I mean, these contractors can be yeah hard to control and, you know, they can just jump onto a transport plane. They're out of the country now and who's, who's going to be able to basically prosecute them? It gets difficult and murky. But you can see that mercenary is a very different thing to a bounty hunter. And yet what you do, I mean, yes, of course, Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back is literally following the bounty of Han Solo. He's no good to me dead. You know, that, that, that line. Any methods necessary, but I want them alive. No disintegration. As you wish. You know, that'd be a ex- typical thing that somebody would say as a bounty hunter if they have to bring them back alive, not dead. 
But, you know, the, the military fight, the military grade equipment, that isn't really what bounty hunters are, but it's what we all think bounty hunters should be. Of course, with The Mandalorian, you very much get the idea of what a bounty hunter is. The very first scene is the bounty hunter searching after an actual bounty and getting into a conversation about it. And there are multiple conversations about the value of bounties, where are they, the assessment of is the risk worth the reward, something that I'm sure would have happened in the Wild West and maybe still happens today. Is that a bounty puck? Is that me? There must be some mistake. I can get you more credits. I can bring you in warm. Or I can bring you in cold. I don't know. I'm not a bounty hunter. But if you like, the starting point of that, or Cowboy Bebop, which was a live action Netflix TV series based on an anime, which came out at the end of 2021 and was cancelled at the end of 2021. Really didn't last very long. But the cowboys in that show, the likes of Faye and Spike and Jet, they are called cowboys because that's the nickname for bounty hunters in that world. And that's all they do. They chase after bounties. What about the Doliak bounty? I hear he's still out by the belt. I told you. Running after shipjackers is a wild goose chase. Exactly the same as you would have done in, let's say, 1880 Oklahoma. Just as an example. You're doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, okay. So that's all kind of real, but at the same time, with both Cowboy Bebop and also with Mandalorian and also with Boba Fett as well, is that's the start. You know, the fact of the matter is that the Mandalorian is absolutely drenched in this sort of like high-tech armor, far more than you'd actually need to be an actual bounty hunter. But, you know, he's tooled up. You know, it's the same thing with Boba Fett. It's almost like he's a Swiss army knife. He's got a flamethrower. He's got a jetpack. He's got a rocket. He's got a gun. You know, all these things, it seems kind of excessive, quite frankly, for somebody who's just trying to track down bounties. They're more a one-man walking army. And indeed, with the something like the Mandalorian. The bounty hunting is the start of the conversation. There are moments which are almost like they could be a Western, you know, walking through the deserted countryside of a planet, coming across a farmstead, finding out there's uh, any activity in the distance, going off and, you know, finding their bounty ultimately. That's a thing that happens, but invariably it's a way to start the adventure. And you sometimes get small-scale skirmishes, you know, borderline battles going on. That is not something that happens with bounty hunters. It's the same thing with the Book of Boba Fett. Now, he started off as a bounty hunter, and he eventually got released from the Pit of the Sarlacc, but now he's, in essence, becoming a warlord. He's sort of running his own criminal enterprise. He's, yes, he's still going out and, and doing stuff and having action and adventures, but that's not... We are now quite a long way away from where an actual bounty hunter would be. It's a very interesting start to the series. It's a lot of fun, but it's it's not about bounty hunting. It's actually about lots of other things now. And let's face it, the sort of rise of a slightly amoral warlord, somebody who's incredibly pragmatic, very different to the likes of you know young Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan teaching him the light path of the of the force. That's a very different world to the one of Boba Fett and the book of Boba Fett. But that's if you like the fun. You get the same universe, you get some of the same iconography. 
but you're getting a very different moral code. That sort of grayness, that murkiness about bounty hunters is a thing. But once again, they're not mercenaries. They're not just guns for hire. They are specifically doing something to sort of hunt down an individual. They, they are not the kind of fix-all thing that we tend to think they are when it comes to the movies and TV shows that we've all watched about them. So with all that in mind, I hope you really enjoyed this one. And as always, I will hopefully speak to you soon. I am not a bounty hunter. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.